This, this, this is you. K U T. K U T. Austin. Stop. I used to get mad at my And welcome to Higher Ed, KUT's podcast focusing on issues of higher education, lifelong learning, and exercising the brain. I'm Jennifer Staten with KUT 90.5, Austin's NPR station, talking as always with Dr. Ed Berger, president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. Hello, Ed. Hello, Jennifer. And how are you? Well, I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. You're, you seem to be in good spirits. I am in good spirits. Well, I'm. I for always a change. Look, for <laughs> excuse me. Well, you know, I, I was in good spirits until that little. I always worry comment. that I, I bring you down when I come to no, visit you. Oh, I enjoy our oh, conversations okay, very much. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this one, and I'm especially looking forward to this particular why, topic. Why is that? Well, I just think it's one that you know it has roots or a rich discussion in academia, but really applies. In lots of different places in our lives. Oh, but okay. I want to start with a question for you. Please. I'm curious if you can think back to your time, any of your time in formal education in school. As, you, as a student? As a student, okay. yes. yes. Did you participate in class a lot? Did you raise your hand, <laughs> answer questions, or were you – Were because you, you've said to me that you, before that you consider yourself shy, yes. which I find shocking. Mm-hmm. Did you, like, raise your hand <laughs> talk in class a lot, or were you more reserved? <sighs> Yeah, I was uh, reserved to the nth degree. Really? Now, I always sat in front because yeah. my eyes aren't so good and I really wanted to be kind of in uh-huh. in the moment. But I never wanted to speak, ever, no matter what the subject was. Even math? Even math. So if it was in my comfort zone, I didn't want to speak. And if I was out of my comfort zone, I definitely didn't want to speak. So if I was forced to speak, if, if the teacher cold called and said, Ed, you know, what do you think? I mean, I would answer. I, I wouldn't, you know, freeze up. But I hated it. I took a class once as a graduate student here in Austin, and it was taught in an inquiry-based approach, which means that basically they give you a, a list of things to do in math, their theorems, and then you have to f- figure out the proofs of the theorems on your own. And I remember that very first day, the teacher passed, the professor passed these things out, and I was so nervous because I didn't want to be picked. This was my, you know, early on first semester of graduate school. And I felt really dumb. Everyone feels really dumb when they first start, you know. And the next class day, I was picked to do the very first one. And from that point on, I physically got sick before every single oh. one of this. Cl- I mean, not in a bad way, yeah. but my stomach got upset because I was so nervous. And I was a semi-adult, right? It was after college. That's how bad it was. So why do you think it felt so scary and challenging to speak up Especially by the time you got to your area of expertise and you were in graduate school, because my sense is that you are not alone in that regard. I know there are people of all ages at all stages of formal education right. who are sure. nervous to speak in class, even or speak in public, right, or speak in public at all, right. even if they're confident in the information that they're going to share. That's right. I mean, for me at the time, it was uh, being very self-conscious, feeling that I was. It was a very large class. There was an incoming class. This was back in the in the mid nineteen eighties when when a lot of schools uh, were taking a lot of math graduate students because we needed a lot of math people at the time, and 
and they were all smarter than I was. A lot of them already had masters, and and I was intimidated. So it was intimidation, it was self-consciousness, and it was insecurity. I mean, for me, those are the three big ones. And and over time, uh, I mean, I'm probably still insecure and I'm still self-conscious, but I'm just so old that I just don't care anymore. (laughs) And so that's why I can talk to you today. And also, I've been doing it for so long in terms of just speaking in general that it no longer uh, bothers me and I, I enjoy it. But but I am shy and, and I think a lot of people feel that way. And so the question is, do they have the opportunity to overcome it as I've had those wonderful opportunities? Or if not, then it kind of sits with you longer and then it becomes a thing. How would you describe the role that each party can play in getting past that. And by each party, I mean thinking of a classroom, both the teacher and the student. Yes. You mentioned cold calling Mm -hmm. of a professor or a teacher just saying, you over there, answer this, you over there. Right. Is that a good strategy? I don't think there's any good or bad strategies. I will say that- Effective strategy. Well, and I think there's no effective uh, yes or no strategy. Depends on the instructor. And for me- when I'm in the classroom, I do like cold calling because I want people, I, want, I, I know how I want them to feel. So some instructors might want people to feel very comfortable and very safe and so forth. I want them to be on their toes and never to know what's going to come next. So they have to be ready and just boom, 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 kind of really sharp like that. So I do like cold calling, but it does, I'm not suggesting or recommending that everyone does that because it might not be in, in the teacher's style. Conversely, you're talking about, you know, you're asking about me and I'm sharing that I, I never wanted to speak in class. It's interesting to look at the opposite side, by the, the way. The people who, the students who are always answering and speaking. And I want to tell you that a few times that can be to the point of a disruption. And, I, and I'll tell you that a couple of times I had to deal with this where I had two separate classes. I had two different students who were so enthusiastic about the mathematics in the class that, and, and just so attuned to it and so happy that they literally shouted out the answer to every single question I asked, which really was demoralizing to the rest of the class. It, first of all, it made them feel like there's no point in them being there. And then they felt kind of not as smart. And, you know, and so it was all negative. And so what do you do then? Here's yeah, someone what, who's did, in, here's, what did you do? Right, the person's enthusiastic. Yeah. You don't want to squelch that. So, so here's what I came up with. Tell me what you think. In fact, you can, you can assess this. Okay. It worked well, I will tell you. So I think this was kind of a good idea. I finally pulled, so in each case, I finally pulled the individual out and, and said at the end of class, oh, I need to see you. And so I pulled this person out and I said, I just love that you are so connected with this class and it is so great. And you seem to be, the, you are conjoined with the material. You understand everything. And I love that you're in it in the moment and it's live and it's great. And I love it. So I'm going to bring you on the inside. You're now going to come on the inside. You're no longer now just a regular student. I'm going to let you in, you know, huh. kind of behind the scenes. And so the person's like, oh, wow. You know, the person's thinking, wow, now I'm made it to the next level. Like it's like uh-huh. a game, right? I made it to the next level yeah. of the game. And I said, so here's what we're going to do. If I ever ask a question, I'm just going to know that you know the answer. So don't even bother to raise your hand. Oh. This is going to be a little telepathic thing going uh-huh. on between Interesting. us. You follow me. And I'm going to see if I can get someone else to talk. And, and if I can't or if I just want to, I can always come to you and I'm just going to call on you. And I know and you know that you're going to have something to say. How about that? 
and the person goes, oh, wow, thank you. Yes. And it actually worked both times. Yeah. They just shut up. And so it allowed the other students in the class to thrive, find their voices, engage. And I, by the way, engaged each of these people in these two different classes because they were great, right? I mean, and I wanted to encourage that, but I didn't want to squelch them. So this was a way of squelching them without squelching them. What do you think? Well, it sounds like it did work very well. And that sort of insider track (laughs) is kind of a way to do that. Because you're right, you don't want to shut them down while you're trying to get them to be a little less participatory. In the heat of the moment, what I want to say is, will you just stop it and shut up for gosh sakes and let someone else have a turn? But you don't want to say that. And so I thought, let's bring you on the inside. And they loved it. And by the way, in both cases, those people are now mathematics professors at schools. Oh, really? Yes. So they really, they did love math. It was it was legal. It was legit. They loved it. And um, your technique did not deter them from Didn't, pursuing. Yes, I am not. Uh, you can't blame it on me. They, right. they kept going. Pursuing anything in math. That's so interesting, sort of that counterpoint about students who are frequent, frequent, frequent contributors. Yeah. Which, which to me can be just as disruptive as when you ask a question. Suppose you don't want to cold call. And so you ask a question and no one raises their hand. By the way, I heard, I haven't met, but I heard there's an elementary school teacher somewhere out there in the United States that tells her students that when I ask a question, every hand goes up. And if you raise your right hand, it means that you don't know the answer. And if you raise your left hand, it means that you, you either know the answer or want to be picked. And, and, and so that way, if someone were to uh, observe her class, like someone observing her, every time they ask a question, boom, all the hands go up. And, and you think it might be a little bit unethical, but the, but the, the ethics of it, as, as she kind of uh, articulated, which I think is really interesting, is it forces them to hear questions. And then to make an assessment whether they want to answer or not. So everyone's engaged. Even if you don't want to answer, you're doing something. And, and I kind of like that. It's like, you know, online voting where the, everyone has a little clicker. And the, I love the idea that everyone is doing something. I just think it's kind of cool. All right. Well, it's time for us to do something now. Uh-oh, it's time that? for a new puzzler. Ooh, would you like a new puzzler? Um, I th- yeah. Okay. Why well, not? I'm not going to give you a new puzzler. Well, I'm what, sorry. What, what I'm is going this to give going to you a very an fun, an old oh, fun riddle. Riddle. Oh, good. I love these. Okay. Now, I, and I want to say in full disclosure, not just to you, Jennifer, but to our wonderful, brilliant, and loyal uh, listening audience, that many times I have come on our program and offered you something where I have showed off a little bit and said, I figured this out, or I did it real quickly, or I did it instantly, and then I love to watch you struggle a little bit, uh-huh. although sometimes you figure it out faster than I do. Let me tell you in full disclosure that this puzzle, which I read somewhere, okay, I could not figure out. Interesting. And okay. I had to cheat, and I had to look <laughs> at the answer. And so I share that with you to let you know that I don't okay. always get them right. Okay. You will be able to figure this out. I Our don't listeners know. will figure it out because you're far more brilliant than uh, I. But I could not do it. Are you ready for this? I well, I'm ready now after Here that buildup. Is the riddle okay? A sundial. Okay. Is a timepiece that has the fewest number of moving parts. Right. It's only one thing. Right. Okay. Got it. And nothing moves. Got it. Right. Which timepiece has the most moving parts? So the sundial has the fewest moving parts. Zero. Nothing moves. Which timepiece has the most moving parts? That's the riddle. Which timepiece has the most 
moving parts. Can I tell you my initial thoughts yeah. since I didn't get this right? Because I had a I had a quick thought that popped into my I head. I was thinking I of like Big Ben, you know, or something like you know, really ornate structure with yeah. lots of things moving and so forth. And and so I was thinking kind of yeah. that way. Boy, was that bad. <laughs> No, it's not bad. It's just a different way to think about it. Yes. So. Correct. Thank you. This is really interesting. Isn't that fun? Yeah, very I fun. could not figure this out. You will. And well, I had some, I had kind of a quick initial thought. Now I'm kind of mulling over. Mm. I'm hung up. I'll tell you where I'm hung up. I'm hung up on exactly what constitutes a timepiece. Mm. Well. Okay. Well, I'll, when we when we talk about the next episode, I'll tell you. What you want to write down your answer just so so I can tell the audience if you're. Well, so it depends. Sort of. I mean, these were the first two things I thought of. So, if you're thinking about like, I see. what helps in the creation of the sense of time, mm. I think I, I think you should say those things. Okay. I, I, I suggest you say it right now, live. It's well, okay. okay. So the things I thought of, I think it's brilliant because sundial. I'm thinking of. So what else contributes to that mm-hmm. creating the effect of being able to tell time? So the sun. Mm-hmm. So if that's, in fact, a timepiece, I said that. But then I also said, but then if you think about time as like the rotation of the earth, and then I said the earth. So earth and sun. Right. And even if you put them together, that would just be two moving pieces. And certainly Big Ben has more than two moving right. pieces. Well, I was thinking of like the earth as a unit, sort of timepiece itself, and all the things on earth that are moving. Oh, they're moving. And then I'm like, oh, they're like 40 billion square All right. Well, in that case, you would win if that's your so, thing. All right. Right. Not as a unit together. Because you're see. right, that would only be, be two. two. Right. right. Okay. But, it, but it's, it's an interesting question. I like how you're thinking about this, by the way. Well, we, and we have come at it at totally different, <laughs> completely different <laughs> angles. I can't wait to hear the answer now. You're so, going to be really will, mad. I'm like... Oh, no. oh, okay. Well, all right. Because well, I, I, oh, I was mad. We're talking because about... Because I didn't think about it. <laughs> well, we're talking about speaking up. So I will yes. speak up next week and, and let tell me you if know. You're mad. And, tell and me I if will you're let mad. you know okay, if I am you. mad. Um, just <laughs> as we wrap up our sure. discussion about speaking up, you Please. know, if you had a student come into your office and say, you know, Dr. Berger, I'm, you know, I'm in, pick any class, a math class, English yeah. class, and I, you know, I, I have things to say and I think I have some right answers. Sometimes I want to contribute, but I'm just so nervous and scared to raise my hand or to speak up. Everybody else in the class seems so much smarter. What would you say to that student of, of any stage, you know, kindergarten, graduate school? Sure. How would you help them kind of start to get over that hump? Well, the first thing I would suggest is to talk to the instructor, professor, teacher assuming now that I am the teacher of record, then I would, I would say, you know, would you be willing to share with me, you know, if you're comfortable, why is it that you don't want to speak up? And then I would ask it not in a defensive way, but am I creating an environment where you don't want to speak? Am I going too fast, for example, or am I going too slow? Or, you know, what is it about it? Or is it the fact that you're shy or, you know, where is it coming from? And I'd have that person just speak. Now, they might identify uh, the real hidden reason, or they might be identifying the symptoms that are actually causing the real reason. But the important thing is to engage that student in a dialogue, in a conversation. That's why education really is individualized. And to try to make that person feel comfortable in sharing. The next thing I would do is say, would you like me to call on you 
So I would now now remember I typically cold call, but let's assume that I wouldn't. Then I would actually say, "Would you like me to call on you, or would you like me to not?" And maybe we could have almost like with that other student have like a little signal if you're comfortable or not. So that's the next thing I would say. And then if they would say no, I really prefer you don't call on me. Then I think what I would do, and again I'm just improving here. I'd say, "Okay, great." But then I'd like for you to come to office hours on a semi-regular basis, not every office hour, but on a kind of regular basis, and I want you to share with me some of the thoughts that you aren't comfortable sharing in class. So at least we can have a conversation and I can respond to them and, and be excited by them or you know challenge you with something else and so we can keep that process going. So, so that's what I would do. I will say that, as you might remember, I, in all my classes now, I have official questioners, which is the opposite. So to get people engaged, even the shy ones, they are randomly picked out. I've got all their names on index cards. I pick out a couple, and I say, Jennifer, you're an official questioner. So your job before the end of the class is not to answer a question, but to ask one. And that puts you in a different position. Mm. So if you're shy, okay, you're still shy, but you're not going to be vested in putting yourself out there to say an answer that might be wrong. You have to ask a question, which as we discussed, I would argue is actually harder and more creative, but at least it's not a right or wrong thing. And so that's another thing I do to get people to speak up in class. Well, Dr. Edberger, we are always glad that you speak up. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Edberger is president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. You can find out more at southwestern.edu. And you can keep your brain busy by keeping up with the news and other episodes of Higher Ed at KUT.org. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jennifer Staten, KUT News. (laughs) 